You've tuned in to localjobnetwork.com radio, and you're listening to the LGN Radio Quad, where our radio hosts gather to share their thoughts, ideas, and perspectives on all topics employment-related. I'm Jacqueline Peterson, and joining me in the quad today is Lynn Molitor. Hi, everyone. Jamie Goble. Good morning. And Tim Muma. Hello, everybody. And as always, we have a lot of topics to dive into, and once again, they do cover the spectrum. So without further delay, Tim, why don't you kick us off? Sure. I saw an article on, uh, it was actually on CNN, and uh, it's just interesting to me. It basically talked about young people saying no to the workforce. That was the title. And the idea that for a variety of reasons, they're not trying to get into their career quickly. Um, some of the things they mentioned, obviously, was the the idea of economy and, and troubles hiring or getting hired, um, going to school longer, sort of breaking it up sometimes where you go to school for a year, then take off because you don't want to accumulate debt. So there's this, this, I don't know, a very interesting dynamic with the workforce. And you, I wonder how it impacts the economy as a whole and employers and what they're looking for. We talk about, um, you know, not having enough people to fill these jobs. Uh, and I just basically just want to throw it out there and get all of your opinion on this. And what, what have you seen? What have you heard? Um, just what's your, what's your thought on that? Because one other final interesting part of that is that many adults are living with their parents for a while or going back to save money. So it's just, I don't know, it just seems very, it's very interesting um, dynamic that I'm seeing here. But I just want to get your thoughts on that. I actually found it interesting because uh, the article had made the point that older people are needing to, well, they're living longer and they mm. need to work longer because they didn't put as much away for retirement to cover, you know, a longer retirement period. And so that could be some of the reasons why jobs are not available to younger people because people aren't retiring as early as they have been in the past. And, you know, I never really like put two and two together. And so when I read that, I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, that is that does make a lot of sense. Actually, my husband and I were at dinner this past weekend. And just to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, Lynn, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I think our our waiter was like 90 years old. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it was really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, of course, we gave him like a very, very, very generous tip because I'm like, I just felt bad for him. And, And I told I was telling my husband, I'm like. I bet you he just didn't right. plan yeah, or or didn't know. I mean, you just don't know. But I also thought the um, the article was really interesting, too, because it, it talks about, like, different things that could possibly explain why this is. And I do think, though, Tim, you're, you're kind of hitting on the right point, is that people are just planning a little bit better. They mm-hmm. want to stay in school. I know the article said that bachelor's degrees at this point maybe are just not enough and that right. that advanced degree is the next thing that really people should be striving for because everyone has a bachelor's degree. So now people are staying in school longer. And I do, though, see, like, amongst my friends – um, yeah, I mean, everyone just kind of helps in and, and, you know, helps each other out. So if someone un- needs to move back home for a little bit until they get on their oh, feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's uncommon. So mm. that, yeah, that does make sense. I would agree with you guys. Um, the one perspective that I took away that's a little bit different is the fact that I think when the economy was booming and good, a lot of young people were graduating. They were getting these great jobs right out of college. And now that less of them are available, you know, they might be uh, taking a step back, going back to school or kind of 
delaying and, and staying out of the workforce in total because of that. And there are job opportunities available. Maybe they need to start at, you know, something that wasn't maybe as ideal as they had originally hoped. And I, I do see that um, being that I have younger siblings that, you know, are in that age bracket right now amongst their friends. So I think that's one of the other things, you know, that is a little bit different with some of the younger generations than in the past where, you know, if you have to work three jobs or if you have to start at the bottom, you know, lesser than what you had anticipated, you'd do anything to not have to move back home like Tim had mentioned. And so I think that's a kind of a different perspective I have maybe just because of what I've seen with the people around me. And one part, you know, Lynn, you brought up the idea of, you know, people are living longer. So the idea of planning later, uh, they mentioned that in the article, I think it was an economist from a university just talking that, you know, everyone who's going into the workforce, they realize you're going to live longer and you're going to have that extra period that maybe 20, 30 years ago, those adults didn't have. So I, I can take my time. I can I can go to school till I'm 26, 27, 28, because I have those years on the tail end that either I need to plan for retirement or I may be working or at minimum, I'm, I'm still going to be alive. So it just spreads everything out a little bit. And Jacqueline, you mentioned the, the degrees and the idea that, again, 20, 30 years ago, if you had a bachelor's, you were you were in that top echelon. Now it seems like everybody's got at least an associate's or a bachelor's. So now you need to take that next step. So it just seems like this, everything just came together in these last 10, 15 years that has brought this on. So I guess it's something to keep an eye on going forward. I know. I can personally say, though, I don't think I would want to move back in with my parents at the age of 26 or 30. And they probably <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted me. Boomerang kids, I think that's what they oh, call Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. But, you know, when circumstances present itself, it's a good thing to have family and friends that, you know, you can collaborate and help people out when they're in need. Mm-hmm. So. But, Jamie, I think you brought up a good point. I think there's this misconception with, like, the younger generations, and I think it's something that they do need to hear from us, Um, you know, people who are actually in the workforce, is that, you know, just because you go and you have a college degree doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get that job that you want. So I think we should stress that, yeah, you're going to have to get a job and you're going to have to work your way up. And that's just the way it is. That's how it is for everyone. I think there, you know, a lot of times, you know, people think, there's just this this misconception that, well, if I go to school and I get a, a degree and I go to law school, then I'm going to be a lawyer. We have people who have law degrees that work here and aren't practicing. Mm-hmm. So, you oh. know, it's like you, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And you have to sacrifice and you have to work your way up and you have to strategize. But, um, you know, that's going to take a little bit of sacrifice on your end. But you don't always just graduate and get the job that you think you want. Yeah. So just know that. <laughs> And I think I thought about that, too, because in our industry, we're we're working with employers that have jobs all the time and they're having trouble filling them. So in my mind, there's definitely jobs available. Um, so just a matter of making sure that, that people are, are noticing them and, and going for them. Mm. Yeah. No. So, well, so for those young people who are not entering the workforce quite yet or for those who are already in the workforce, I personally wanted to talk about when you're working for a publicly owned company versus a privately owned company and what are some of those key differences that we can help employees understand and know those differences to sort of help them um, succeed. And the reason why I bring this up is because we're a privately owned organization and some of my um, direct reports, they've worked at major corporations and they come with all these ideas, which is great. Um, But a lot of times I'm like, okay, but think about how that's going to impact, you know, X, Y, Z, and sort of like the snowball effect. So I wanted to um, kind of pick your brains and see if you've noticed any differences and what can we share with our listeners. I found this interesting because I had worked at um, a mutual fund insurance company, 
So um, the policy owners were considered the owners of the company, and we were very results-driven. Um, there was a lot of uh, emphasis uh, put on maintaining expenses and obviously increasing sales. Um, some of the things that we have here, it's interesting, um, we would never have there just because you know, we weren't privately owned. So like some, um, you know, like a Halloween party or a Christmas party, you know, those we, um, we, we planned them ourselves and we went to each other's houses and, (laughs) and celebrated Christmas. And, you know, we gave gifts to each other, um, because there was just, you know, that just wasn't an option to, to get a gift from, a mutual, you know, so, uh, something, a company owned by a public, from, uh, by the public. So like you're saying, be, yeah, it wasn't, you're working for a larger corporation, there's not, excuse me, that intimacy. Oh, definitely. So right. you went ahead and you, you, with your team members, created that culture within your own little group. Right, yeah. There was no budget for any of that kind of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my brother, he had, he worked at a privately owned company and, you know, he would get the the uh, ham at, you know, Christmas time or the turkey at uh, Thanksgiving, you know, but that was when I was growing up, I'm like, oh, we would never have anything like that. (laughs) I think, you know, a lot of times people think privately owned is going to be smaller and publicly larger. And I think that's fair to, in general, see that. And I I think to your point, Lynn, what you're talking about and Jacqueline mentioned as well, the idea that there is sort of more of a closeness and you have to understand that if you're at a privately owned business, you whatever you say or do is going to have an impact on not just the person in your department, but everybody, even all, it could go all the way up to the, to the top. I mean, that's how it may be presented. And um, for those people that have worked here or do work here, we understand that dynamic because of the closeness, because of the connections that um, it's, you have to, it's interesting because when you're at a, a public place, they're careful of their brand, obviously, but if it's something minor within an organization, it's, it's not going to matter that much because you're a, you're a one fish in a large sea. In a small organization, you're protecting your brand, but I feel like you're almost protecting it from the inside because culture is so much bigger in my mind and people matter versus just always numbers and always, well, this person's doing great here, but their attitude, you know, that doesn't fit. So we get, you know, we're going to move on from them. I don't necessarily think that happens in the public place because of the numbers and because the fact that they're not going to have that impact like one of us might have at this organization. So it's just, I think a lot of it does come down to those relationships and how you're going to impact, you know, people up the food chain or even, again, it could be widespread across the whole company. That's a good tip. I like that perspective, Tim. When I think of uh, publicly uh, traded companies versus privately owned, I think of just what you mentioned in terms of company size. You know, when I came out of college, you know, all of my friends are looking for those big, huge companies to work for. Those are the ones that you see as the best opportunity. But as I've been in the workforce longer, I've actually gravitated more to the privately held companies. I actually like some of those things you mentioned about the culture and the size and, you know, uh, feeling like you can actually make a difference in a big bigger way than being, you know, one small fish in a big sea, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, so some of the things that I thought about were, you know, I know a lot of times people think there's more opportunities in a, in a public company. But for example, here, I've always felt the opposite. You know, there's way more room for growth and development because you're not, you know, fighting up against, you know, way more people that are looking for that role or that job or that opportunity. Um, you know, I know there's different things, you know, when you look at long term, like stock options and different things from uh, a longevity standpoint, but yet, 
there's also more opportunities on other ends that I think kind of make up for that. So um, in my opinion, I, I love working for a privately <laughs> owned company. Yeah. And I had brought that up too, obviously not because of my personal, ex- well, because of my personal experiences, but I also worked for a major uh, media company before coming here. And yeah, it was just a little fish in the pond. And you don't, I mean, you can want to try to improve a process on something and either never gets improved or n- nobody wants to take the time to improve it. So I think to Tim, what your point was, and, and Jamie, what yours is, is that you do have an impact in a small organization. Um, but also to Tim's point is you those relationships with your peers is definitely really important. So it's something that you do want to pay attention to um, so that you are are growing in your career. So definitely do keep that in mind. Yeah, very interesting perspectives. <laughs> So, well, regardless of working with a publicly owned company or a privately owned company, you need to work as a team to help each other out regardless. I think that's fair to say for all of us, which brings us to our next topic, Jamie. Sure. Well, um, with the holidays fast approaching, we see a lot of our team members out of the office on PTO, as I'm guessing a lot of companies out there do. Um, And those left behind will naturally pick up a lot of slack in terms of customer calls, team member questions, and many other areas, depending on your focus and your role. My question is, when you're planning to be out of the office, who is an appropriate backup for you to handle those unexpected items that arise? And, uh, you know, is it always the same person? Is it your manager? Is it, you know, a a certain person for certain tasks or or different things like that? Um, You know, in our business, it's sometimes difficult to know who to handle and direct these things. And it might be nice to streamline once in a while. So just wanted to get your thoughts on on how you do it or, or how you see it being best handled. I, I've evolved. I used to just have one person kind of handle it all if I was out of the office. Um, but now I've definitely, my manager has has trained me, you know, to give more people opportunities. You know, maybe one person is your go-to person for X, Y, Z, and the other person is a go-to person for ABC. And um, just recently I have decided to take that approach. So and then it's working out fine. So that one person who is responsible when I'm gone isn't so overwhelmed. This person will be handling this. This one will be handling this. So if you guys have any questions, let me know. It's definitely new to me. Um, but I also think that it helps the team feel uh, that they have some um, – accountability, that they also have an opportunity here, and that they can actually show that they're growing and and can be a leader when the manager's out. So that's sort of the approach that I've been taking lately. Um, But again, that's been something that my manager has stressed to me to just try out and see how it goes. So I like it. I know people can get overwhelmed when it's one person. Yeah, but you want to give other people opportunities. So yeah, I think it is all about the opportunities. I When I had a larger team, um, I would kind of rotate um, being a backup um, amongst uh, the different team members. It's kind of like you're always striving for a self-directed work team, per se. I mean, you're there to add um, to add guidance, but you really want everyone to go to their full potential, and they don't really need to need the, their manager per se to do their job. So it was kind of like, all right, when I'm out of the office, this is your chance to to shine. But it also gives um, people that you think um, that you're grooming to be in a manager position. You know, if you're gone like for a chunk of time, let them have the responsibility and then they can kind of feel like what it's all about. You always hope that there's no issues while you're gone, but something may come up and then someone's got to be, you know, kind of being that represented representative for the team. 
and this gives them that chance. There's usually backup, you know, a support staff of, uh, you know, at a higher level to, you know, in case something really big comes up, you know, we'll be here to support you. But I always liked it when I was gone to, you know, you kind of give your people a chance to have some more responsibility. I think that's the biggest thing I would say. And I, I've never really been in the position where I would, I had to worry about that, like as far as delegating when I would be gone or, or anything like that. But so from the perspective of being sort of on the more ground level, uh, you know, actually all of you have mentioned this, but Lynn, you, know, you were the last one to speak there talking about giving that opportunity. And, you know, it might start with those little tasks or activities, you know, as you've all said, you know, that big thing that happens, you should probably go through, you know, your director, direct reports or, or even higher up if, if it matters in that way. Uh, but I've been so much in, in different areas of my career, whether it was in the media side or teaching, that you just have to be, again, if you're one of those employees that's sort of on the ground floor, ready to go with the flow, ready to take on that task and, and do your best, have as much knowledge as you can. But just, you know, you have to work as a team in that regard. I mean, there have been plenty of times in the past where, you know, may, maybe I've had to be out or maybe, uh, you know, a team member was sick or they had something, you know, with a family come up and you have to take over their role. And I think the important part there is don't try to be that person because you're not. You don't think like them. Um, you, you can you have those certain guidelines and policies that you're looking to follow, but do what you can in, in that role. I, I don't have the same experiences that, say, Jacqueline would have if I have to um, take over for you know one area because she's going to be on PTO or whatever, or even any of my teammates um, within our department. I, I don't necessarily think like them. So you have that sort of guideline, that outline that can be handed down to you. And then within those parameters – do what you do best. Use your strengths. Um, again, as long as you're following those those general guidelines, you're going to be fine there. Um, and I think to all all the points that all three of you ladies made, it's just uh, if you take that direction from your managers, from the organization, as long as you start there, you're going to be fine, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, just don't go rogue when your exactly. when your manager exactly. is gone. It is yeah. tempting. It is tempting. <laughs> all right, we're going to enact some new policies. <laughs> Thank you. That definitely helps. That's a, a nice different perspective too, Tim. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in continuing the topic of being an employee, there are some roles where we actually work with external companies, those of course being people that are our customers. And Lynn, what did you want to talk about with that? So uh, last week, I had two occasions where um, I was greeted by uh, the checkout person. And, you know, they said, you know, hi, how are you? How was your day? And me being the person I am, I'm like, I'm having a good day. How about you? And I didn't realize um, all of the information that I was going to receive in response <laughs> to my <laughs> to my question. And uh, so the one checkout person was telling me how um, they were tired and they needed a break. And then the next checkout person was telling me all about the gifts he was giving to his nephew. And, um, you know, then I start to get a little nervous because I'm like, are you like paying attention to what you're doing, you know, with your with my order? So then it got me thinking. It's like how much personal information and how engaging should people who interact with the public, what's a what's a good barometer for them? I think, Lynn, I've had a lot of customer service roles in almost every job I think I've ever had. And, you know, I've learned different things from different organizations, but the commonality is 
you know, you want to be polite and you want to, you know, uh, say, you know, how was your day? And you want to respond when somebody asks you, but you keep it brief and to a minimum. Um, I've always learned that the customer, not that they don't care because they're they're not nice people, but they really, in a sense, don't care about your day. They're there to purchase something from you or get a service. And, you know, it's, it's inappropriate in my mind for them to go beyond, you know, a, a minimum, I'm having a good day. They don't want to know if you're having a bad day. They shouldn't know. Right. Um, you know, they're going there for an experience. And, you know, customer service really matters. And I think, you know, that is one of the things that we see a lot less of these days. But, you know, if you look back to, you know, previous decades, you know, I don't think you'd have as many people telling you all about their life and their day. And if they're having a bad day, especially, they would smile and say, I'm having a great day. Right. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that is something that's important when we're going out there and, you know, we're going to the grocery store or to, you know, a shopping mall or we're out to dinner or wherever we are. I think that's really important that people kind of draw the line at that. I mean, I'm glad you said that, Jamie, because for those that know me, I'm not that big necessarily into small talk and and that (laughs) sort of thing. So I am one of those people that, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. And if, if someone does start talking or it's something that, that seems relevant, I'm going to try to be nice. My wife thinks I'm rude when it comes to that, but hey. <laughs> um, but t- to your point, Jamie, it, it's it's a tough balance because of that. You don't want to come across as rude, whether you are the person that's working or you're the, the customer uh, in whatever situation it is. And I'll come across that all the time when I'm trying to line up guests for shows. I'm coming at it from a purely business perspective of, you know, I'm interested in talking to you for this reason. And sometimes, whether it's in via email or it's on the phone or it's even after a show or before a show, you know, getting into some of this personal type stuff, and it's like I, I don't want to not say anything, but I don't want to, I don't want to turn on the reporter in me and ask more questions and have it go on and on. So, um, you know, I, as far as advice goes out there, just try to get a read on the person who you're talking with, no matter which side of the table you're on. If 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 they want to talk, let them talk. Maybe just you know nod and smile and be like, oh, that's unfortunate, but maybe not keep probing, you know, just, just let it, let it be at that. You know, I mean, again, I know naturally as humans, you want to interact and you want to be nice. And, um, but at some point, you know, maybe there are 10 people waiting behind you in line and that's, it's not the time to talk or it's a, I think you just have to try to read people as best you can and be yourself. Don't, don't be mean or rude. And I try not to be that way, but you know, if they don't seem like they want to engage in the conversation, then that's fine. Let them be. And that's not what they're there for in most cases. So I, that's, that's my two cents on it, I guess. Yeah, I actually, there's a, an external customer that I deal with or that I work with on, on certain projects and whatnot. And this individual does try to have personal conversations with me um, all the time. And it, it's funny, and I don't mind. I mean, I know this person. I've worked with this person for a couple of years now. Um, but I always do draw that line in the sand, always, mm-hmm. because it's either through email or it's in front of someone else. And I'm thinking, geez, <laughs> what sort of perception are you giving off? And I just think that if you are that person, like you said, Tim, who's not really, doesn't really want to engage or thinks that, okay, this is not necessarily appropriate. I think you just give off those cues, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, well, great. Have a great day. You know, <laughs> you know, just kind of move it along so that um, that person can pick up on it. And usually they do pick up on it. It is pretty, um, it's, it's pretty clear. I mean, you certainly don't want to be rude, but at the same time, you also I mean, your reputation's on the line too, so you have to, you also have to think about that as well. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to really ask about that because I'm very <laughs> usually I just want to get in, get out, and and be done. So <laughs> I can attest to that. I'll ask Tim how his weekend was, and it's like clockwork. I can always I know exactly what he's going to say in return. 
What? He'll say, it was fine. How was yours? What'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> Every single time. And it's for me now, it's like a game because I know. I'm like, oh, it's Tim. And he, I know what he'll say. Right, now next time. time I'm going to lay out like by hour what I did the whole week. Right, yeah. I think it's a nice perspective. I, I, you know, you definitely do not ever want to come across as rude or on, you know, professional or tacky. Um, so you definitely have to use that judgment call, like you said, Tim, and feel out the people. Um, but you know, it is something you you got to draw a line somewhere to to be a, a good customer service provider if you are on that end. I always get nervous though too, Lynn, what you said earlier about are you focusing on my order? <laughs> right. When I'm getting like my eyebrows done or my hair done and they're like yapping my ear off, I'm like, focus on oh, my geez, hair. Oh, geez, that would make me very yeah. nervous. Yeah, me too. When I'm getting my eyebrows and eyelashes done, <laughs> I'm sure. I worry. There you have it. This does wrap up today's quad. If you would like to suggest topics for discussion on the LJN Radio quad, do send us a message at LJN Radio at localjobnetwork.com. And tell us what you learned from today's quad that you hope to use in your future career. For Lynn Molitor, Jamie Goble, and Tim Yuma, I'm Jacqueline Peterson, and thank you for listening. 